0: That's heritageradionetwork.org/15 to donate and enter to win today, and make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Today's program is brought to you by Firesider, a health tonic based on the traditional New England cure-all of raw apple cider vinegar and honey. For more information, visit firesider.com.
2: Hey, 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 I'm Jimmy Carboni from Beer Sessions Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org
3: for thousands more.
2: Your love is chloroform perfume. Just one whiff and you start to smell. Now tell me how I'm supposed to be.
4: Welcome to Love Bites on Heritage Radio Network, where dining and dating collide in New York City. I'm one of your hosts, food writer Jacqueline Raposo. You can catch me on everything as wordsfoodart.com. And I am 34, straight and single.
2: And I am Ben Rosenblatt, your other host. I'm an actor, writer, musician, and occasional bartender and server. You can check me out at benrosenblattactor.com. I am 33, straight and totally single as well.
4: Down the line, we're going to be joined by Kat Kinsman, the editor and sorry, the editor at large of Tasting Table, and the author of the upcoming book High Anxiety: Life with a Bad Case of the Nerves. We're going to be asking her about how anxiety plays into her work as a food writer, and also how we can sort of utilize it to our best in dating. And both Ben and I have some issues with anxiety, just a little bit I, I don't so we're really excited to have her on but first we're gonna get a therapy session we here. are gonna get He's a therapy session right. we basically booked ourselves a free therapy session here uh but first ben ask me how i feel about online dating right now
2: how do you feel about <laughs> online dating right <laughs> I now online Jacqueline? dating right now
4: benjamin um <laughs> i'm just so bored with dating online like i feel like i'm I'm tired of the time I spend on the phone, and it feels like another job, and I'm not a fan of it. So this is our one-month, I was going to say anniversary, but I feel like there should be a cuter title for radio or segment, for, I don't know. Anyway, this is our one-month mark of doing this show live. woo Yay for us! Cheers! Clink! Um, and we were going to talk on our first episode about the differences between online dating for men and women.
2: Until Jacqueline dumped I did not. I still say I do not, and that. I don't even
4: want to talk about that because okay, I'm still okay, not quite okay. over. Oh, oh. Yes, yeah, so let's not even go there. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's but that's part of one of the things I hate about online dating now is I met somebody online who I really liked. So there's hope. And for as you. you've quoted to me, everything ends, and it ended before our first show. And now I'm back. You're online the one who keeps dating. bringing that up. All right, like well, I,
2: that was just like one topic we discussed early length, on, and now you keep like shoving at it in length, my face because
4: you because you put that in my ear. <laughs> well, that everything ends. I'm I'm a glass half full person who now has everything ends like in the back of her head like you are. So I think if I think let's share what we... I dropped we, a bomb <laughs> of
2: reality in your face. You did. I love it. It flew
4: up. <laughs> um, so I think if we share what we each dislike the most about online dating right now, we might get a little bit about the differences between online dating for men and women. So you first. What do you hate the most about online dating at this moment? <sighs> Monday, October 12th. I pretty much
2: hate it all. I'm sick of it. I... Uh, um i miss meeting people for dating purposes in person and like you know the anxiety which we'll get to later of like meeting someone in person and asking for their number and going through that whole thing do you ask
4: girls out in person yeah because i feel like guys don't like i will i think i'm having a great conversation with a guy and we exchange information and he doesn't ask me out. And I'm like, wait, did I do something wrong? Like, what happened? What do you mean by like, exchange
2: information? Like, he gets your number? Or? We
4: exchange our cards, because a lot of times that I meet people, it's through See, work See, then situations. you're mixing it in
2: with this, like, business, like, when I you're know, doing the card thing, you're like, ooh, is this business, or is this a date? Like, I don't do the card thing.
4: I know, but when like, do you meet people? I feel like in my 20s, I was out more socially in general. It was much easier. General. I know. I met a wider gamut of people through friends, but now a lot of friends are married with babies moving out of the city. I
3: know. And... A lot they're such, of, idiots. They're such idiots such idiots all
4: these people <laughs> babies um but also like <laughs> I'm not jealous my work my work is social as well too which sometimes i hate about my work that like i have to go out a lot for work and those lines are blurry and we know that i don't date chefs and but though but like now and then you get locked into a conversation with somebody we're like oh this feels this feels flirtatious see i, I actually
2: wish i had the Card thing, like I don't have a card or whatever, and I don't like meet. I don't tend you should to get, get it. a
4: card. Well, actually, we made Love Bites radio cards to drop, which I have for you today. I forgot to give you. That's a good reminder that now you have a card. True. That's a very like. Ooh, I have a radio show and I talk about sex on the and, and dating. All right, that's going to be very
2: attractive. Like, it is. It is. <laughs> I would right.
4: be excited by that if some dude dropped that in my palm. Um. Ooh. So. All right. So that's what you hate the most now.
2: Well. Well, well I hate what I hate the most about online dating is. The fact that for guys, which is, the I think, the exact opposite of what it's like for women, is that for guys, I have to... First, I have to sift through all these profiles, right? And find someone that I find interesting and attractive enough to want to message. Right. Then, after that, I have to craft a message that is both charming personal to what they wrote in their profile, and um, interesting enough, hopefully funny enough or, you know, whatever, (sighs) enough to garner a response. Now, after finally finding someone who is worth the amount of time that it takes to write that message, which is time in itself, and then writing the message, which is even more time, if I don't get a response... Like now I've like wasted yeah. an hour or two and it's demoralizing Which and makes it's you
4: like it feel so sad. It's awful.
2: It sucks, you know? But, it's, but it's, I'm just as, it's just it's uh, just as bad as being at, you know, out somewhere and being like, "Hey, can I have your number please?" and and getting no or getting you a wrong number.
4: Well, see, all right. So or, on the flip side, my thing as a girl is that I don't get messages from guys like you most of the time. I will like a person will mutually like each other. I'll be like, oh, this person thinks the way similarly in the world or they have, you know, we have a lot of shared interests or just their way of writing because obviously being a writer for me, like if they if there's personality through their writing and their profile that means of something. Course. Those dudes don't message me. They might like me. They might be looking at my profile a bunch of times. I don't get those dudes. I get the dudes that I have nothing in common with or the guys that send really creepy things. Do you get
2: pictures of penises a lot? I
4: have never gotten a picture of penises. What? Penis. You're
2: doing something wrong. If I you're guess. not getting dick pics sent to your OkCupid okay profile, I don't know. Can you your clearly- pictures
4: on OkCupid? Okay
2: you can maybe upload maybe one to up, someone send you're a link. Maybe you upgraded, I don't know. Oh. I've, I've never... I don't
4: click on links because I've got class. I'm I just kidding. I am proud to say that <laughs> I've
2: never sent a picture of my penis to a woman on the internet. Then we're made for each other. Oh, my God. Why do we
4: not? I don't know. <laughs> ew, no, I know. Oh, no, I know. Sorry. Ew, no, you no, know. No, no, no. Ladies out there, Ben is incredibly handsome. He's <laughs> <There's> a wonderful <laughs> yeah, human you. being nice who save. I've been like nice very save. close friends with for over 15 years now. But, um, yeah, it's not you. It's not men like you messaging. So we're both... We're both at the whim of a very similar... I guess that's a small pool of people.
2: See, I I would... Yeah, I would say, like, we have the exact opposite problem. I, you know, have to find the diamond in the rough and, like, send the uh, the perfect message. You are bombarded with, like, terrible messages. Bombarded
4: isn't the right word. It's not like I get a trillion messages a day. But I do get... I do get... I'd say out of of ten messages that I get maybe one i'm like oh this person is somebody who it would make sense for them to reach out to me and they've done it with it doesn't have to be a long message but it's something that's not a comment on one of my photos yeah way. or it's so, about some small thing on my profile I'm like oh this person gets that small quirky thing like that engages me so wait,
2: is that what you hate the most about online dating right now or is there Yeah, a certain- no,
4: one thing I hate. No, that's the thing I, get, I hate the most is that I get messages from people that I honestly do not want to take the time to connect with at all. I feel like even just. Do you have an example
2: out- of a message like Ugh, recently I, that so you could.
4: I'm off the top of my head, give the I'd gentleman
2: like- out there that they know like not to write that message?
4: Anything that comments just on a photo, anything that sounds generic that it, like, I, can t- I can tell you've copied and pasted this, anything that's a, Hey girl, what's up? Or Wait, how's your day work. going? <laughs> that's that's <laughs> your thoughtful <laughs> message. you've there. Yeah. Anything that's like, how's your day going? Or, you know, what are you up to this weekend? Like anything like that? Like I'm not, I'm not on that site. Like I'm text messaging, you know, like I don't stay on the site and sit there and message. So, and, and also like, I don't know you. And then I have to look at your profile. And if we have nothing in common, why am I going to take the time to even have this really sort of boring back and forth? Yeah.
2: Online dating is tiring and boring. And then, and then even if you do get the date, right, then you go out on the, you finally like, you're like, Oh yes. All right. I got a great message. Or I sent someone a message. They like me. Great. Like this might be really cool. Then like still like 85% of the time you go out and like, right. it's a boring date.
4: So I think what we're concluding from this is that men don't send generic st- stupid bore I don't know, I I feel bad saying stupid boring because it is it does suck for guys that they're generally the ones sending messages first but like put a tiny bit of effort into it and approach women who you have something in common with you don't just like the way they look yeah, but- and then on the flip side women like if a guy like actually from you Ben I've learned that if a guy sends me a really smart message that I'm just like oh we just don't I don't see anything that we have in common that makes me want to jump to meet you I will at least write back and say that. And sometimes I get a thank you for being honest, sometimes I don't, and I know that it doesn't f- help.
2: Yeah. Right?
4: I mean it does it doesn't it doesn't help, but I feel like it it helps more than just not respond maybe you know? I would
2: say instead of like the takeaway being Men do this Women do this For online dating Like how about we all Just put down our Fucking phones For a second And like go out In the real world And meet some people That way And not be afraid anymore Because getting As much as it sucks Getting rejected online Is It's so much less personal Right So let's just have You know grow some balls
4: and vagina and ovaries some, and Sorry, ovaries
2: and get out there and let's meet some people in real life yeah, and, and get past uh, that scary
4: point of like when you're meeting somebody and talking to them like is this flirting is it not flirting assume everything is flirting maybe uh, right
2: yeah i'm i'm i like that idea Yeah,
4: assume everything is flirting in real life and ask the people out and and flirt more and yeah put down the phone i like it okay
2: we're gonna take a break and yes. we will be back very soon with cat cans man can't wait
1: Today's program was brought to you by Fire Cider. Did your grandmother ever tell you to drink raw apple cider vinegar? It's good advice and more common than you may think. For generations of New Englanders, a tot of vinegar was a morning ritual. Taken daily, a tablespoon of unfiltered apple cider vinegar can help support immune function and digestive functions. To the base of certified organic apple cider vinegar, Firesider added whole raw certified organic oranges, lemons, onions, ginger, horseradish, habanero pepper, garlic, and turmeric. They let this mixture steep for six weeks at room temperature to preserve the living vinegar culture and delicate flavors of the ingredients. Lastly, they blend a generous helping of raw wildflower honey into the mix. The result is potent but balanced, offering layers of sweet, tart, and spice. Firesider tastes great on its own or as an addition to tea, juice, or salad. Firesider ships direct from their online store and is available at over 500 locations nationwide. Use their store locator to find one near you and ask for a free sample. For more information, visit Firesider.com.
4: And we're back. Uh, today's musical break was provided by The Landing, the smooth smooth grooves dulcet that we were just tones. the dulcet tones we were just sort of jamming to in the studio here uh so welcome to the studio Kat Kinsman hi Kat hi thanks for having me thank you so much for coming uh Kat is the editor at large of Tasting Table a very beautiful food website uh that I've written for actually intermittently over the past year or so um and she is the author of the upcoming book High Anxiety out in April of 2016 is that right it is indeed I am so excited for this book to come out because uh, I first saw Kat speak on a panel at the Women's chefs and refs drunk tours conference about anxiety and she opened it with saying something along the lines of like women in this room if you are here you've chosen a very scary thing to do as a living and i applaud you for that i'm grossly paraphrasing but it was that was her welcome and then all of a sudden you started talking about how anxiety has manifested for you throughout your career so to start off like what is what is anxiety to you right now on a day-to-day basis especially considering that you are now the senior up you know up there editor at this big uh, website, this big food website, like how does that sort of play into your life on a day-to-day
5: basis? Well, you know, it's a funny thing. It, it wasn't even identified for me until a few years ago that as anxiety, i had always been treated for depression. It was always sort of a, a, you know, a joke among my friends, how nervous I was. And then just one day I a- actually happened to be in therapy and uh, he looked at me. He's like, wait, we haven't actually discussed this before. And he said, you have a, a panic disorder right. and anxiety. As well, but to me, it's the only way that I had ever known. This is just how I process the world, sort of in startle mode. That you know, always worrying about what was going to happen. Uh, you know, and manifest physically for me in in all different ways. It used to be more of stomach aches. Uh, I pick at my thumb. It's it's sort of a constant state of being very very tense, and. Over the years, I've realized, like, okay, the level of it is probably not going to go down in any significant way uh, in, in, in the near future. So the best thing I can do is be mindful of it and just... Uh, Manage it as best I can, and I've found that talking about it, it has been the most amazing thing because this way I don't have to sort of go and hide in the corner. I can tell people, well, hey, look, I'm having a really giant panic attack right now. You might not be able to uh, see that happening on my face, but this is what's happening. And the more I do that, the more people are saying, "Oh my God, me too!" And they feel freer to talk about it. So acceptance was like just a
4: recognition and a definition, and accepting, like, oh, this is the way my my body reacts to to things. Like it's that a- was it was how was that a big turning point for it?
5: Absolutely huge yeah so I, I had gone on uh, several years ago actually after a really very very bad breakup um, that was incredibly difficult to process on a physical and emotional level I was having a hard time getting out of bed every day and just waking up like you know in screaming fits uh, my body was just rebelling in this incredibly terrible way and like just some very bad things had been done to me and uh, my and I just couldn't take it anymore and my physician uh, put me on a combination antidepressant and anti-anxiety drug and for the first First time in my life, I knew what it was like to not feel gripping panic all the time. And that was a revelation to me because the way I had lived my entire life was reactive before. Make my stomach stop hurting. And to be able to operate in that particular fashion, you know... not having to just make it stop and appease somebody else, I could stop and I could make rational decisions about what I was doing, and really just learn how to um, interact with people in a, in a much much healthier way. You know, unfortunately, that that same um, drug ended up being a nightmare to get off of, so mm-hmm. I wouldn't recommend it to anyone who I cared about or didn't care about or anything. Um, but just having that several years where that my body wasn't leading my soul in that particular way was incredibly freeing, and I learned a lot of things about how to manage it. So do you take medication for anxiety now? I don't, uh, though actually uh, recently I started taking an herbal supplement that my physician uh, recommended to me and that has been a godsend. Uh, Would you share what that is for people? Yeah, L-theanine. It's derived from yeah, it's a it's good stuff. She had referred to it as uh, Nature Xanax. And unfortunately, I got an email from her today saying she's moving away and she's not going to be my doctor anymore. But, um, you know, I absolutely believe in medication for people who benefit from it, whose particular um, psychological and physical makeups, uh, it, it's really a godsend to a lot of people. It's just not my particular thing.
2: Can you speak at all, um, in addition to the medication you took in the past and the herbal mm-hmm. supplement that you're taking, to ne- taking now the steps you actually took to help manage the anxiety, if there are ways you speak to yourself now or just the other tactics.
5: Yeah, I do want to emphasize the fact that I am not, cured in any way and that's the thing when you write a book like this people think like oh you must have gotten over it you beat it how'd you beat (laughs) it yeah yeah Yeah. no I I haven't I have looked it in the face and um, you know I sort of have a whole metaphor about how it's you know it used to have the wheel all the time and now I can shove it into the passenger seat a lot it's I can't shove it away entirely uh, for the the most part but you know I've got control of the situation and I've been able to step outside a little bit and really calmly talk about the the fact that you know I'm having a giant pan Attack or something, and say to my husband, You know, hey, I'm actually melting down uh, right now, so maybe if we could you know, just do something else or, you know, turn this light on, open that, you know, whatever it is. I know my triggers and I know, uh, how I react to them so well at this particular point that I'm able to have a very rational discussion about it. Um, except in extreme circumstances where, uh, you know, I can step back and say, this is a thing my body's doing. This is not a thing that my soul isn't broken. I am not broken. I'm not a defective person. My body's just stupid some days. How do you recommend people figure out what those
4: triggers are? Because I think, like you were saying before, that just recognizing having a name and accepting it gives you more ownership of what's happening to you rather than being owned by the physical sensations of things. How do you recommend people sort of figure out like, all right, this is what happens. And so I can have some, even if I can't overcome it, I can control the extremity of it, or I can, you know, maybe stop it before it would stop itself.
5: I mean, taking uh, taking notes isn't a bad thing. There are actually all these anxiety apps where you can I I haven't really used many of them. I've just dabbled in it. But you can uh, sort of keep track of when you're most anxious, what you're doing, if you've eaten, if you've slept all of those. I mean, for, for me, the best thing I did was write a book about it where I had to sit down and physically made a list. Of all of the things that might sort of trigger situations, whether it's it's crowds or um, the phone or you know silly things. Actually, I'm realizing the more granular the thing is. That uh, sort of causes this for me, the more people seem to be relating to it, like, say, picking my shoes up from the shoe repair place or dry cleaning or something like that. People, normal human beings can do this without a, a second thought. Um, but I get into the spiral where I think, oh, my gosh, it's been there for a while. What if they don't have it? What if I owe extra money? What if somehow I screwed up my life by not picking this thing up and, I, and let it spiral? I started talking about that to a friend and she was like, I thought I was the only one in the world mm. who did that. So, I mean, for me, it really you know, I've, you know, I have had, you know, wonderful therapists. I've had, my husband is amazing and I can uh, talk through this with him without, without judgment. We've had, we, we talk about this all the time because he's a wonderful person whose impulse is to fix this part of me and make me feel better. And I've, and we've had to learn the language of, of saying like, you can't, you can't fix this. You can just have to tell me you're not going to go away. And so I would recommend to people like really just listen, you know, listen to your body, see when it gets upset, um, sit down and, and keep a little, Journal of it, whether it's in your phone. I know we all hate the phone, as was discussed earlier. Uh, Carry a little pad in your pocket or something, and you know if you feel that rising up, have some sort of little calming behavior. I count sometimes in my head. I count. I breathe. I put my feet down on. You do
4: not meditate, as I read on Facebook (laughs) today, which I think is great for people to be like. It's not not everything is a fixer for everybody, and so you put this article on on your Facebook page for high anxiety today about how meditation doesn't work for everybody, and don't give yourself
5: guilt for that like don't there let are other ways the thing ways. you don't do
2: give you more anxiety right. about it. yeah
5: because you know? yeah, everybody you know it's it's an amazing the second you say that you have it well have you tried this have you tried this have you tried this because like, people
4: try to fix they try to diagnose and fix in general no matter what
5: the issue is for people, which is... And it's a kind impulse. I mean, It is a kind impulse, yeah. And some of it is, you know, sort of there for the, but the grace of God, go I kind of thing. It's like right. a preventative thing. But yeah, for me, um, my, my dad is an incredible human being. He's really great. And my and my mother is wonderful, too. She, she has always suffered from really severe anxiety. And he saw this manifesting in me when I was really young. I would sort of, you know, pick at scabs or at my socks and, and tremble. It was sort of this joke about how much my hands shook all the time. And I was going into the national spelling bee in like a million years ago. And he saw me just getting knotted up with with worry. And he decided to teach me transcendental meditation. And it, you know, and it maybe worked a little bit in the moment. And, but it's, it's just something where there's a whole section in the book about how I've tried yoga and things. And when I empty out my body and, or empty out my head, whatever it is, I'm so conscious of my body's rhythms that it makes me more nervous. And I, and I'm yelling at my, because I can't calm down enough and it's just in the same way that not all medication is for everybody not all practices are the same we're each special special flowers and there's things
4: that the brain just you can't control I I believe like I have the the same thing with meditation because I have a physical illness that calming down and paying attention to my body sometimes makes me aware of how much pain my body is in and sometimes you just need to block that stuff out it doesn't it doesn't fix it fixes a lot of things it does not fix everything
5: and it doesn't fix things for everybody as well, that's absolutely true. I mean, my worst panic attacks actually happen um, when I'm asleep, and oh, they, yeah. <laughs> they wake me up. And then, yeah, yeah like, really, really, come on, like oh, brain, brain, leave me be for eight hours. Exactly. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, you know deeply frustrating, and then you know you're tired, get, and it, you get more stressed out when you're tired. Of course, of course.
2: I want to change the subject here Do really it. quickly because um, I want to bring it back to dating for a second. You mentioned in an email to us um just yesterday i think when we were uh confirming with you that you were going to be here that you witnessed something happen like on a date or you witnessed two people on a date the other night, and you witnessed something happen. Can you tell us what that was and how it made you feel?
5: Yeah, this this kind of broke my heart. Um, I was in a neighborhood restaurant with my husband, and ooh, the tables are really, really close to each other, and you can't help but hear overhear other people's conversations. Also, I love watching people on dates. <laughs> I know, it's it's you know so interesting, and I'm rooting for them almost every time, unless Aww, somebody's horrible. Yeah, like, right. I'm rooting for them. And uh, you know, it was sort of quiet. People had cleared out, and they were near us, and I. I talk when I talk about mental illness. I talk about people coming out. Um, I refer to when I, you know, I wrote, had written a couple of very public essays uh, for for CNN about depression and anxiety and talk about like as coming out as mentally ill. And it was a couple. You could tell it wasn't their first date. They maybe they knew each other enough. It had been a few. And he was telling her that he was bipolar. That his he had been working with his therapist. And I could tell that this was. Weighing on him, and he he was he was saying, you know, working with my therapist. This is the language she uses. Here's what I'm doing to treat it. And I saw her shutting down, and Mm. and then them sort of withdrawing and not talking to each other. And I heard him say, you know, we can even take the physical stuff out of you know the romantic relationship uh, right now if we can just you know talk as human beings. And and she was she was having a really hard time. And I was I was feeling for both of them. I've been on both sides of that. And I was talking with a friend recently, whose, whose partner is going through some of these things, and they're not married. And I was saying, you really, you really, really do have to decide if this is something you can deal with. Um, the, the person who has, you know, the anxiety, the bipolar, the depression, or whatever has to be, in, they have to be able to manage it, they have to they have to take responsibility for managing their condition. And then the other person can decide if they want to be part of that or, or not. And On on very early in my relationship with my husband, I told him, you know, look, I'm on I was still on the medication that I was on, and I said, "Here's what's going on with me. Here are all of the ugliest parts of me. And maybe partners in the past couldn't deal with this before. And if you can't, um, I, I do not hold it against you, but you know we, we really can't go on. I wanted to be as honest as with him as possible, possibly scare him off, even if I could because if he if he couldn't hang with that, then he wouldn't be able to understand. And I would be apologizing for myself for the rest of the night for the rest of my life. And he said, bring it on. And he's been absolutely incredible. But if I had tried to not disclose that up front, I don't know how well that would have gone.
2: Can you explain how what it was that you saw in this girl or woman that was shutting down? Like how you like what what behavior did you recognize in her that that allowed you to realize that she wasn't able to handle it?
5: It was um, it was her posture. I mean, she was physically withdrawing. She wasn't looking at him. She was looking down at the table. Her shoulders were, were slumping and he was leaning toward her sort of pleading. Um, with her and you know and I couldn't totally overhear you know I heard some some of the words but she just she was sinking into herself and you know and who knows and I don't I didn't blame her at all because you know don't know what kind of triggers that had for her if she had dealt with this in the, in the past um, not everybody is for it but I also really really want to, I, almost, you know, I was clearly not going interf- to interfere, and this, and again, I wasn't eavesdropping too hard. I, you know, I was just, uh, you know, I could hear this stuff, and I was thinking, my God, you know, for this guy, he deserves love as much as anybody else, and I really almost wanted to tell him, like, look, maybe, maybe she isn't the one. Don't put all your eggs in this. Totally. There's somebody out there who who gets it. I
2: mean, I absolutely think you're spot on there because. If she can't handle it, then she's not the one, and she can't understand it. She can't love him the way he true, deserves I, to be loved. But I think and we
4: also we also don't teach people how to deal compassionately with illness, and and I'm using air quotes here, mental illness. Like we don't, you know, like like you said before, your husband is a fixer. I have I find with my condition that a lot of men just want to fix things when I just want them to listen and support. And I think that's something that like we as people, we want to fix things for other people rather than just listen and be and ask questions. And I and I think there is the potential in a lot of people who, yeah, it might not be something they understand now, but that they could become people who could support other people. Because honestly, in life, illness is going to happen at some point, whether it happens to you in your 20s or your like illness and And loss and tragedy are going to happen and because maybe you are not you've not experienced enough to know now it doesn't mean that you can't learn how to be more helpful because it's not also having an illness is not the entirety of a human being it's a part of who they are
2: agreed and i think part of that and part of and i have no idea what happened in this situation but i think also part of it is how you present it to the other person um I struggle with an anxiety disorder myself. I have obsessive compulsive disorder. And uh, that's something I tend to share very early on in dating as well. Um, It's something I struggled with very intensely for a long time in the past. And knock on wood, I'm not really struggling with as much currently. Um, But I wrote a play about it. And I um, have an upcoming workshop of that play coming up. And it's one of the things that I'm excited to talk about and share with people i'm dating and then they of course they ask what the play is about and it's about this very deeply personal thing um that i struggled with for a long time and still do in certain ways um but i think in presenting it as something that is you know in owning it in that way it's a little less scary than perhaps using the term you use as coming out i think can be a little scarier sometimes if you're presenting it as if you're saying hey this might make you run away as opposed to hey i have this thing it's cool like
4: we're good well, owning it has been a word that's come up a lot in this conversation. Yeah.
5: Oh, absolutely! I, I used to work for a psychiatrist, and I would joke, and I did all of his billing. And there are particular codes if you're if, I don't know if you're familiar with the DSM, but the, the DSM five, and there are different uh, diagnosis codes and billing codes that you have to use. And I always thought it would be amazing to have T-shirts or jewelry that had uh, these codes on them. I mean, anxiety generalized anxiety disorder is three hundred point oh two, and in the DSM,
2: is that- in the DSM that yeah. is. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah,
5: and I actually had a <laughs> necklace made finally that says anxious. Um and I you know, it's, it's something that, you know, I'm increasingly owning that, you know, I didn't always go around telling people that, you know, that this, this was the case with me. In fact, when I wrote these articles, uh, a few of my closest friends, I, I wrote these pieces because I realized I was hurting some people in my life. Um, because it gets worse at, you know, it's sort of in the holidays and around when it gets cold and dark outside. And I was missing people's parties and not going to their birthday or their holiday party or something. And I was just feeling really incredibly terrible. And I, realized I was wounding people who I love because when I'm in the thick of this I can't even sort of email out to people sometimes I mean I can get through my basic I can get through work I can you know be with my husband and stuff but anything extra just feels like way too much and so I wrote this one particular piece to say like look it's I love you I'm embarrassed by this uh, but here's what's going on I physically couldn't uh, get it together to leave the house and come to your party and I love you and I'm sorry was, was the gist of it and my friend's The way they reacted was so generous and and lovely and you know and saying we're here for you and we're really sorry we didn't know this Uh, one of my dearest friends is a therapist she's like you know I'm I'm you know, she, I'm, I'm mortified I didn't know this and I said hon I've had you know 40 years of uh, having a game face of right. this. Right
4: hiding, hiding how you're feeling. Yeah, yeah I'm
5: really 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 good at this. If, if you didn't if I didn't tell you you probably wouldn't know that any of this stuff was going on. Somebody last week said to me like wait so you're writing this book and whatever are you anxious? And I'm, <laughs> <laughs> and I goes, I'm like yes yes I am and I was like in fact you didn't know this but the last time I saw you I was in the middle of a panic attack that was lasting for 24 hours. Wow. I just have a really good game Oh my God. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and and I do think that people in general are when you're when one is open and honest, like most people are very willing to say, "Hey, yeah, I understand." And most people do tend toward compassion. And I think when they don't, then it's like, you know what? As you said, like we're not right for each other. If you can't handle this. Sorry. I do
4: Yeah, I do want to still keep a shout out though to teaching people how to listen. Yeah. Because I'm writing an article right now about my illness, and part of it was when I was very underweight from being sick, that people would still tell, tell, tell me that I looked beautiful, that I looked like, oh, you look amazing, but it's because I was really skinny, and it's, it's a whole separate conversation about women and that and that, but part of what I was writing with that is that when you have an illness, you don't obviously want to show that you have an illness, like women, we put makeup on, and we we all put clothes on and energy on to go out and present ourselves as a normal human being, whereas... Maybe as if normal, you have an illness, and I you're just, not a normal human well, being. Well, no, I know. I just like, as soon as I said the word normal, I was like, ah, no, that's not. I mean, but see, I even, I'm part of this where, like, you know, we think that being healthy equates, healthy physically and mentally equates being normal. And I think that if we could just have more honest conversations about it, and if people who don't understand whatever illness they're being confronted with, whether it's professionally or personally, can feel comfortable to ask questions because i think a lot of people just don't and people in that situation the people suffering from whatever illness it is would rather be asked questions and be able to talk honestly than see that glaze go over
5: yeah, yeah. I, I mean i feel really incredibly lucky that i'm in a position where i get to talk about this that you know i got you know diagnosed with depression a very early like 14, age 14 or so And, you know, and I also have a mentally ill mother who, you know, even though she didn't always know all that, we didn't necessarily know that at the time, it helped me develop a vocabulary for this. And also seeing my dad and how he reacted with her, sort of get a framework for how two different people, you know, who are are, the two people who are in a relationship can pattern this and, you know, for better or for worse, uh, you know, a, a lot of these different ways of reacting. But I also realized then that makes me have a responsibility to because, you know, I because I, I haven't been punished for it uh, too much in a, in certain ways. I'm in a field where you know I write and I am established enough that hopefully you know I won't take a hit from from any of this and you know still have job prospects open to me. A lot of people don't have that luxury and feel like they need to hide it. You know, I'm, and I'm also looking. You know, I'm in a, in a relationship, so you know I'm. I realize I have so much compassion for people who who don't feel like they can speak up, and I would never blame anybody for that. So what I'm trying to do is normalize it. So I'm, you know, in my in my previous job, I used to go on TV a lot. Um, I worked for CNN, and I was a face that people were very used to seeing on talking about about food on that, and, you know, on morning shows and things. And then to be able to step up and say, well, this is also going on with me. I think it I think it helps if people who are in the public eye can talk about this. It means the the world to me that Prince Harry talks about it. I think that is huge. He's doing a lot of charity events around it. He's talked about his um, anxiety of entering a room and speaking. You know, I think it it can only help the more public people talk.
4: That's really, that's really heartening to hear. Like I had the same thing with my illness is Lyme and there's famous people coming out about struggles with Lyme disease and and it only helps sort of our, our greater goal. So we were going to, we were going to end this, our show today with challenging uh, ben and I challenging ourselves with a a dating thing but I feel like uh we've sort of set up ourselves for a challenge of just like practicing honesty and owning the 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 issues that the three of us in this room, you know, have to I mean even issues sounds like a really cheap word right now but the it's the stuff the stuff yeah the stuff, stuff. <laughs> like we talked about baggage last week we've talked about illness we've talked about you know uh, not not believing in relationships you know, and, you know, lasting for, we've talked about a lot of serious things on this show already. I think like, I think we're leaving on a pretty empowered note right now of where we're all artists. We all have different mediums of expression. And I think we're concluding that, it, that expression is pretty good in this, you know, very helpful in and
2: destigmatizing.
4: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Kat. Yeah, it's really Our, like, pleasure the, yeah, it. thank our you. show always feels so short because we always have so many delightful things to talk about. Um, but that is our show for today. Thank you so much, Malachi Linden. He is our engineer in the booth. Hi, Malachi. Thanks for doing such a bang-up job for us. Um, our theme song is "Chloroform Perfume by Ben Rosenblatt's band, No Denial. Thank you, Benjamin. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please tell your friends to subscribe to the show on iTunes and feel free to get in touch with us at heritageradionetwork.org. Thank you so much. For coming today, Kat, we really appreciate you being here.
5: Thanks so much for having me. This is a
4: very special discussion. Um, next up, a clip of all in the industry with Sherry Bayer, and we will be back next week. We are Love Bites Radio. Thanks for listening.
3: Bye. We determined that people want to know why and how of of food. Not so much just instruction recipes. They, they want to get something and learn something.
5: On episode
2: 61 of All in the Industry, Justin Warner joins host Sherry Baer to explain the secret principles behind his offbeat culinary creations.
3: And so they said, you know, foie gras donut, for example, I mean, why on earth did you make that? It's, well, I mean, it's a long story, but um, I, I knew it would go together. I mean, it's kind of like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And they're like, mm. Wait a minute, peanut butter. You're telling me that a foie gras donut is a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? I said, yeah. I mean, so is pizza. I'm like what? <laughs> I'm like yeah, of course. Like it's about fruit and fat and having some canvas to spread it on. I mean, the foie gras is fat, peanut butter is fat, cheese is fat, uh, tomatoes are fruit, jellies are fruit, PB and J. You know, foie gras donut. It, it's all there. Pizza. So. I determined that the law of peanut butter and jelly is something that is true and something that exists and it is real. And if you have uh, fruit, fat, canvas, you'll be fine. Yeah, so like another law is uh, the coffee, cream, and sugar law, which is kind of the idea if you have something bitter, uh, add something creamy, add something sweet. Uh, Or you could just say fatty and sweet. So, I mean, if you think about coffee uh, or raw chocolate, you know cacao is is bitter as all get out um it's one of the bitterest things that there is uh but the second you add sugar and milk to it it becomes milk chocolate so that's kind of you know just a simple example but you know if you look at like bitter greens most of the time people add some sort of oily fatty component and something that's subtly sweet to it i mean that's what makes great greens
2: To hear more from Justin Warner and special guest photographer Daniel Krieger, check out episode 61 of All in the Industry with Sherry Bayer. For more great shows on the hospitality industry,
3: you can listen to all the episodes of All in the Industry available on heritageradionetwork.org.